How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah, it's good to see you guys here today. My name is Mike Lee. I'm one of the pastors here, and as well as the director of our ministers and training program. It's always good to be here with you guys. So uh, we're in 1 Samuel. We are only two weeks away, this week and next week, and we will put 1 Samuel to bed. So we're, it's been a great journey that we've been on, and we'll continue that this morning. But I, I usually don't do this, but I, I, I got a sh- story I need to share. So it has nothing to do with this lesson, by the way. So this is just free for you guys. So um, I have three adult children, Madison, Hunter, and Chandler. Madison is married to Ryan, Hunter to Jackie, and then Chandler's married to Austin. So uh, between the three of them, we have six grandkids. Yeah, I'm from Memphis, so you could get married a lot earlier. Um, And... um, (laughs) So uh, my oldest daughter, Madison, she has three, three children, Reeves, Penelope, and Teddy. Reeves is a fourth grader. Penelope is first grade. And then Teddy is a four-year-old. So on Fridays, a lot of times when they're, uh, Madison and Teddy are in the car line to pick up uh, their older, the older two, they'll, they'll call so we can talk to Teddy, and then Madison will chat with her for a little while. So it was a couple of weeks ago when it was really raining hard on a Friday, and we get a phone call from Madison. And so we put it on speaker, and Madison says, Teddy wants to tell you something. Paul, Deansy, I peed in mom's water bottle. <laughs> so we start, you know, we say, oh, we're so proud of you. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's such a good job. Well done, you, and all that. And so we're, we're, we're talking with Madison, and, and we're just having, you know, catching up on stuff and everything. And then all of a sudden, we hear Madison talking, and then she stops, and she goes, mm, mm, mm. So what she had done is she had taken the water bottle and put it back in its cup holder. So as she's talking to us, she's just talking, talking, takes it and goes, and she said her eyes went crossed as she saw the yellow liquid coming. <laughs> she did not swallow, okay, so just that. But she has now discovered that if she were ever to be out with Bear grills in the desert, she can survive. <laughs> yeah. Okay, like I said, it had nothing to do with this, okay? So that's the family that we live in. We, we, we're pretty open about stuff. I did get Madison's permission. She may even be watching, so I, but I, get, I got permission to tell that. So what we are is in 1 Samuel, and 1 Samuel is the story really of three main characters. Samuel, who is a judge over Israel, but he's also a, a, a figure that transitions from the judges to the monarchy, to the kings, okay? So that's Samuel. Then it's the story of the first king of Israel. His name is Saul. And what we have been discovering throughout our journey through 1 Samuel is that Saul over and over and over again takes steps away from God, seeks after his own desires instead of what God wants. He pursues his own passions instead of God's passions. And over and over, we see his heart turning farther and farther away from God. It's also the story of a third man. His name is David. And David is now the one that has been anointed king over Israel. He's not yet king, but he has been anointed. And we begin to see the contrast between the heart of Saul and the heart of David. And so what we're going to continue to see that in that today is that Saul's heart in this story that we're going to be talking about today goes as far down away from God as it possibly can while we see God protecting David's heart, not because David is better than Saul, but because David has a heart for God that even when he blows it, he's willing to repent. So last week, Corey took us through chapters 26 and 27. And in that, he talked about the dire consequences of spiritual fatigue. Because what we see is King David makes some decisions that are made out of this spiritual fatigue that take him away from God, that move him away from the Lord and more into fear, doubt, self-pity, and even into the possibility of some sin that could separate him further from the Lord. And so it's all out of that spiritual fatigue. So we were warned be careful to watch over your spiritual life. Be careful to watch over what you take in and the things you do so that you won't fall into that pressure of spiritual fatigue. 
So today we're going to be looking at one of the most controversial and probably well-known stories in the Bible dealing with Saul going to inquire of a medium, uh, sometimes called the witch at Endor. And we're going to be thinking about that. And as we think about what Saul does and then how God protects David in chapter 29, we're going to be thinking about desperation. And does our desperation lead us to pursue the junk of this world like Saul, or does it lead us to pursue the grace and mercy that's found in Jesus only? So that's going to be kind of that weaving thought that's going to carry us through the lesson today. So when you came in this morning, you should have got a notes handout. You'll have pretty much everything I'm going to say on it. If you have not downloaded the Experience Community app, I'd encourage you to do that. Click on Sermon Notes. Everything I say will be on that as well as the scriptures I'll be reading. And then also on the three screens up here, there will be plenty of the notes. It'll all be up there as well. Everybody good? All right. So it's good to see you again. Let's pray together, and then we're going to jump in and see where God takes us this morning, okay? Father, we are grateful for the day. We are keenly aware that this is a day you've made and that you've told us to rejoice in it. I thank you for the men and women that are here today. I thank you for the presence of your spirit as we worshiped you. And we ask for your help now as we teach your word that you'll speak clearly to us what we need to hear so that we can be more like Jesus and love you more and hate sin more. I pray, Father, for all the churches that are meeting in Rutherford County today that are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would use them for your glory. We're grateful for the three campuses that we have other churches. Thank you for Cannon County and Shebbleville and Tullahoma. Bless them and then bless those churches in those counties. Thank you, Father, for the cool nonprofits we get to support like Monroe Harding and the work they do for children who need that helping hand to, to find life and protection. And so continue to bless that ministry. But Lord, we are grateful that we can be in this place. So teach us for your glory. Open our eyes through your spirit's work and may Jesus be exalted in everything we do. So we are grateful that we can ask these things in that powerful and wonderful name. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so chapter 29, we're gonna begin in verse three. And again, pretty controversial chapter. I'm, hopefully we'll guide you through it and give you some good thoughts there. So beginning in verse three, by this time Samuel had died, all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his city. And Saul had removed the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines gathered and camped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel and they camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine camp, he was afraid and his heart pounded. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him in dreams or by the Urim or by the prophets. Saul then said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium so I can go and consult her. Remember, it just said that he had removed them. His servants replied, there is a woman at Endor who is a medium. Saul disguised himself by putting on different clothes and set out with two of his men. They came to the woman at night and Saul said, consult a spirit for me. Bring up for me the one I tell you. But the woman said to him, you surely know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you setting a trap for me to get me killed? Then Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, no punishment will come to you from this. Who is it that you want me to bring up for you? The woman asked. Bring up Samuel for me, he answered. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed. And then she asked Saul, why did you deceive me? You are Saul. But the king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? I see a spirit form coming up out of the earth, the woman answered. Then Saul asked her, what does he look like? An old man is coming up, she replied. He's wearing a robe. Then Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he knelt low with his face to the ground and paid homage. So Samuel find, excuse me, Saul finds himself in an incredibly desperate situation. So Samuel, the one that was the one he would go to for wisdom and advice, has died. God is silent and won't answer Saul, won't speak to Saul through dreams, through priests. And if you go back to chapter 22, you remember that Saul had all the priests put to death. 
He won't speak to him through the prophets. And as he looks out, he sees the united kingdom of the Philistines. They were normally five city-states with each of them having a king. Now they have united to come against the people of Israel. And as he looks out that, the Bible says that his heart fell with the pressure of what was going on. And so instead of continuing to seek God, instead of continuing to cry out to God, Saul begins to go deeper into sin, where this situation should have caused him to repent. It caused him more to turn away from the Lord, which reminds us that desperate times don't necessarily change our hearts. They reveal our hearts. They show what's on the inside. And when we're desperate, we will either run to Jesus or we're gonna run to the stuff of this world. We have to make a decision in that desperation Saul makes the desperation to run further from the Lord because Saul was looking for a comforting word. He was looking for a word from God, but since God would not listen to him, would not answer, and because Saul wasn't willing to repent and humble himself, his hardened heart was willing to follow satanic lies rather than God. Because for Saul, in the absence of truth, satanic lies were as good as truth for him. And the farther we get from God, the less we can distinguish lies from truth. And what we will do is the farther we get from God, the more we get into lifestyles that don't honor the Lord, the more we get into behavior that we know displeases the Lord, we don't necessarily want truth anymore. We want lies that will agree with our sin. We want lies that will encourage us in our sin. We want lies that won't contradict what our hearts desire. And this is what Saul wanted. He wanted a comforting word, but when he could not hear from God, any word would do. So he seeks out a medium. And mediums were those who would consult the dead, okay? And this was an occultic practice that was banned by the Mosaic law. So all the surrounding territories around Israel had these kinds of people who would consult with spirits, but they were forbade by the Mosaic law. And as you read, again, at one time, Saul had had these removed from the land of Israel. But again, Saul's action revealed his heart because in that moment, any God would be sufficient as long as it spoke to him. Which leads to this thought. Every one of you in this room is created in the image of God. You bear his image, which means you are also made to worship, but you're made to worship him. But the problem is, St. Augustine said one day that we are all restless until we find our rest in him. And so what we have is some have described as a God-shaped void that we keep trying to fill with other gods, keep trying to fill with other things that we think will satisfy that longing that only God can meet. And so we chase after all of this stuff, whether it's alcohol, drugs, sex, power, money, it doesn't matter. We love to be distracted. We love to be filled with other things, thinking that we will find peace, rest, and joy. And yet they all leave us empty because we weren't made to worship those things. We were made to worship the one true God. So when we come into this place and we come desperate, when we come with sickness and sadness and despair, the question is, will we eventually turn to the one true God or will we keep saying, I'm gonna keep trying these temporary things until I find something that satisfies? But it never does because we weren't made for that. So before we kind of jump into the medium herself and what she brings up, I just wanna give you a little brief thought about the occult. So the Bible tells us that there is an unseen spirit world that from time to time appears. The Bible tells us of God and his angels. The Bible also tells us of Satan and demonic beings. And in Colossians 2.15, this is what Paul said. He said that Jesus died and rose again to disarm the demonic forces. So why would we want to delve into that spirit world for whom Jesus died to disarm so that we can be affected by their accusations and their oppressions. And yet that's what some people do. They turn away from God and they begin to seek after this spirit stuff, thinking that in it, again, they can find truth and peace and hope and answers. And it ultimately only leads to accusations and oppressions. It doesn't bring freedom, it brings captivity. 
Now, the Bible also tells us that at death, humans who are created in the image of God are either united with him in death or we are separated from him in death. What does that mean? That means human spirits do not roam this world after death, okay? Human spirits do not roam. You are either with the Lord or you are without the Lord. There is no purgatory. There is no ghosts in the sense of ghosts being the spirits of people who once lived and still have unfinished business or whatever else people think is happening. There is no such thing as humans who roam the earth after death, which means this, this is the point. Any seeking after the occultic world is consulting with demonic beings who oppose all that God is for us in Jesus Christ. Okay. Listen, I know there's some of you love horror stuff. I know, you know, there are people that like to read Stephen King and all that kind of stuff. And listen, be careful. Okay. Paul said in second Corinthians, what does darkness have to do with light? What did the things of Satan have to do with the things of God? And we have to be people who recognize that to even toy with that stuff is to possibly invite the work of demonic beings, not ghosts, not spirits, but demonic beings into our presence. Friends, have nothing to do with that. Have nothing to do with that. And even if we do it, quote, for fun, don't do it. It's not fun. It's dangerous. Okay? So that's foundation. That was free, by the way. You're welcome. Okay? All right, so the media indoor. You're applauding free stuff. I mean, that's impressive. All right, so indoor, okay? And by the way, this is not where the little Ewoks live, okay? So um, Saul goes through enemy territory to get to indoor. So think about this. You've got the Philistines who are gathered for war against Israel. You've got Saul and his people. And indoor is where the witch is, this medium. And he is willing to go through enemy territory to consult with her. This is how desperate he is. He's in essence willing to risk his life to try to find some word that can give him comfort. And so he disguises himself, which means he lies. He lies about who he is. So again, we're seeing who he really is. We're seeing the depth of his sin. And then here's an interesting thing. When he goes to her and says, I want you to call up a person for me. She says, don't you know that Saul has forbidden this practice? And Saul in his now depravity calls on the name of God and says, by the very name of God, I will protect you from doing this evil. In Romans chapter one, Paul talks about the descent of mankind when we don't pursue Christ. We continue to descend to sin and God turns us over to a, a depraved mind. And here's what Paul writes that not only do we love our sin, but when we're in that depraved mind, we begin to applaud those who are sinning as well. So Saul knows that this is forbidden practice. He goes to this woman and they know where she is. So he hadn't removed everyone yet. They know where she is. He knows it's a sin. And yet he encourages her to sin against the Lord as well. So he asks her to bring Samuel up. And notice what the scripture says, to her shock, she screams out when she sees Samuel because Samuel actually appears, which is a reminder that in this situation, Saul is not the one in control. Though medium, she's not in control. God is in control of this moment. There's a work that God is doing for his glory and at this moment to make himself seen as the real true God. Now, a lot of people ask, is this really Samuel? So there are some theologians who think it was a more of a demonic spirit that just appeared as Samuel. Others say that it is actually Samuel. And that's actually where I lean toward. I believe it's actually Samuel. And I think there are two clues to that. First of all, the woman, the medium's response to what she saw, this was not her normal demonic interaction that she had. She saw Samuel, the real Samuel, and it scared her to death. This was not normal for her. It was a supernatural work of God that she had never seen before. The second clue though, is that the Bible says that Samuel appeared and Saul knew it was Samuel and bowed down and paid him homage. 
And we're going to see that even more clear here in just a moment. So again, I lean to the fact that it was Samuel. Now, here's the weird thing. This is kind of one of those one-off situations. So God does this unexpected work to show that, again, he's the one Lord worthy to be worshiped and that he is in control. So God often does those kinds of things. And we have to be careful to build our theologies on these kind of one-off things so that some people will go, oh, see, because it happened here, that means when you do go to a medium or to a crystal ball or a whatever, a spiritual person, that they can call up uh, real people. No, this is a one-off. We have to be careful of that. That's how bad theology and cults are formed. They take one verse out of context and build a whole theology around it without the context of the entire scriptures. So be careful about that. But here's the thing we can know. While God will never do anything that goes against his character, God does a lot of things that goes against our expectations. And too many of us put God in a box and say, this is the only God he can be. And God is the one that Paul talks about in Ephesians 3, who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine. Don't limit God by your self-perceived expectations. Let God be God in whatever is happening in your life. So, and just real quick too, uh, in the New Testament, Y'all may remember Jesus going up on the mountain and he took Peter, James, and John and there was a thing called the transfiguration. And do you remember two men spoke to Jesus, Moses and Elijah? So maybe that's another little just free hint for you guys, okay? All right, let's go now in verse 15. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up, Samuel asked Saul. So again, this seems to be the true Samuel speaking to Saul. I'm in serious trouble, replies Saul. The Philistines are fighting against me and God has turned away from me. He doesn't answer me anymore, either through the prophets or in dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what I should do. Samuel answered, since the Lord has turned away from you and has become your enemy, why are you asking me? The Lord has done exactly what he said through me. The Lord has torn the kingship out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. You did not obey the Lord and did not carry out his burning anger against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will also hand Israel over to the Philistines along with you. Tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. And the Lord will hand Israel's army over to the Philistines. Immediately, Saul fell flat on the ground. He was terrified by Samuel's words and was also weak because he had not eaten anything all day and all night. The woman came over to Saul and she saw that he was terrified and said to him, look, your servant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do. Now, please listen to your servant. Let me get set some food in front of you. Eat and it will give you strength so you can go on your way. He refused saying, I won't eat. But when his servants and the woman urged him, he listened to them. He got up off the ground and sat on the bed. The woman had a fattened calf at her house and she quickly slaughtered it. She also took flour, kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread. She served it to Saul and his servants, and they ate. Afterward, they got up and left that night. So part of Saul's problem is he's now turned so inward, it's all about him now. Again, look at verse 15. Notice what Saul says, I'm in serious trouble. The Philistines are fighting against me. God has turned away from me. He doesn't answer me anymore, either through the prophets or in dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what I should do. So Saul, instead of making it all about God, he's made it all about himself. It's all about what he wants, what he desires, what he's lacking, what he needs. Because if God won't give him what he thinks he needs, then he'll turn to whoever or whatever will give him what he thinks he needs even if it's going to a woman like this. Which reminds us that sin is the ultimate act of defiance against God. Because here's what willful sin is. Willful sin is when I say, not your will be done, but my will be done. It's not what you want for me, it's what I want for me. And what the Bible calls that is idolatry. It's when I worship other gods before the one true God. It's interesting when you come to 1 John at the very last sentence of that letter, John says, keep yourself from idols. 
Why would John close a whole letter about keeping yourself from idols? Because we are people, as we said, who are created to worship and we easily worship other things rather than God. But the greatest thing in this culture is not having a statue in your house that you burn incense to and bow down. The greatest worry that we have is looking in the mirror and worshiping what we see looking back at us. It becomes all about what I want and what I desire and what I need. And we become like Saul and we commit the ultimate act of defiance by saying, not you, God, but me. In fact, one of the greatest gifts you can give your children is to teach them early and often that the universe doesn't revolve around them. Sadly, many adults have not learned that lesson yet. And so we seek after what pleases us, whether it's God's will or not. So Samuel's appearance in this moment could be a blessing to Saul, but it ends up really being a confirmation. Well, how could it be a blessing? Well, it could be a blessing if in this moment, as he reads or says to uh, Saul, you know, Samuel says, it's because of your sin that this is happening. It's because you didn't obey the Lord that this is happening. It's because of you that this is happening. The blessing would be that in the exposure of Saul's sin, he would fall on his face, not in fear of the consequences of his sin, but fall on his face in repentance to the Lord who has called out his sin. And that would be the blessing, but instead it becomes a confirmation that Saul's heart is too far gone and he will not repent. In this moment, Saul had a choice, but the choice he has is to continue farther into his sin. And listen, friends, understand this about ourselves, right? There are gonna be times when you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, where he is going to expose your sin, but it's an act of love. It's an act of love. I didn't say it's a joyful act or one that you look forward to because it hurts. It hurts when God exposes who we are, when he exposes the sinfulness of our hearts, when he exposes our wrong desires and our wrong passions. It hurts, but in that exposure, we are brought to the light and the Bible tells us that in the light, there's healing. Too many of us keep the darkness of our sin hidden away so that we think no one will ever know. Well, first of all, God knows. But second, you know. You know the condition of your heart and you know the desperation you feel. Why not come to the light? Why not come to Christ and allow the love of Christ that has exposed your sin to bring healing? But Samuel didn't take that. In fact, Saul says God has turned away from him, but the reality is that Saul had turned away from God. In fact, the Bible tells us that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. But Saul had allowed his descent and this pursuit of self and all the other sinful activity to continue to pull him away farther and farther from the Lord. And so now his heart is so far from God that he is now starting to reap what he's sown. His life is about to be taken from him. He's got 24 hours, less than 24 hours to live. And not only will he bear the weight of his sin, so will his sons. But the reality is, and I think you've seen this probably maybe in your own life, but definitely in others, it's always easy to blame God for our sinful decisions, isn't it? Remember when Adam and Eve, when Eve took the fruit and ate of it, gave it to her husband and their sin was exposed when God came. You remember that it was a blame game, right? Remember, Adam said, oh, it was the woman you gave me, God. That's what we tend to do with our sin. We want to blame everyone else for the sin rather than our own selves. But we are the ones who have sinned and God has sent his son to deliver us from the penalty of our sin. He's made a way for us to escape judgment if we will receive it. Will we draw near to God? And by the way, again, there was a great band in the 70s and 80s named Petra. Look them up. It's, you know, yeah. Some of you, all of a sudden, lighters are going to start coming up, right? <laughs> but Petra had a song that said this, you know, no matter if you're a million miles away, it's only one step back to the Lord. And for some of you, that's what you need to hear today. You think you're so far away, but when you admit that it's you, not God, then you can see God as a savior, not as one that accuses. So God didn't call Saul to obedience because he's angry. 
See, some people think that God wants to make your life miserable. I think we do a pretty good job of that on our own, don't you? We don't need God's help to make our life miserable. You know, again, some of us think, man, if I give my life to God, he's gonna make a mess of my life. He's gonna make it miserable. And all the fun and all the joy and all the life that I've, you know, it's gone. And again, you're already in a mess. You're already miserable. You think he's gonna make it worse? God reached out to Saul because he loved him because he had created Saul. He wanted to be in relationship with Saul. He wanted Saul to know the joy of being in his presence. But Saul's sinful heart was so far gone, he couldn't see that and he was freed to turn away. And he thought freedom was found in his desires, not in what God desired for him. So here's the thing we need to remember. In our culture, we want to, listen, we live in, in so many ways, the freest culture that's ever existed. You can literally pretty much do anything you want. It's pretty much all becoming legal now. But free will without God is not freedom, it's bondage. Okay? And, excuse me. You need to understand that. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been set free from your free will. You used to be a slave to sin. You used to be a slave to alcohol, drugs, porn. You used to be a slave to greed. You used to be a slave to all kinds of stuff. And you thought you were free, but you came to the realization one day that no, you were in bondage and you needed to be set free. And you gave your life to Jesus and you're more free today than you've ever been. But some of you are still falling to the lies of Satan thinking, no, as long as I get to do what I want, as long as I'm the captain of my own ship, as long as I get to pursue my passions, that's where freedom is. And yet you wake up more sad, more depressed, more torn up than you ever will be if you follow Jesus. So Samuel tells Saul that he's gonna die. So he doesn't get the news that he wanted. And he's so overcome by grief and that grief is exacerbated by hunger. He hasn't eaten for a day. And notice what happens. The medium, she offers him a meal and it gives him temporary relief from all the bad news. It gives him just a moment of, of joy in that his hunger is being satisfied. But friends, without God, all the momentary pleasures are distractions, not comforts. That meal didn't do anything but just delay the fact that death and judgment were coming for Saul. And in this world, there are gonna be so many things that are gonna to try to distract you, to pull you away. And only God can give you the true relief that you can want and it can only come through Jesus Christ. Why keep chasing after the wind when the reality has come and his name is Jesus? All right, last part, chapter 29. The Philistines brought all their military units together at Aphek while Israel was camped by the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine leaders were passing a review with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were passing a review behind them with Achish. Then the Philistine commanders asked, what are these Hebrews doing here? Achish answered to the Philistine commanders, that is David, servant of King Saul of Israel. He has been with me for a considerable period of time. From the day he defected until today, I found no fault with him. The Philistine commanders, however, were enraged with Achish and told him, send that man back and let him return to the place you assigned him. He must not go down with us into battle only to become our adversary during the battle. What better way could he ingratiate himself with his master than with the heads of our men? Isn't this the David they sing about during their dances? Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. So Achish summoned David and told him, as the Lord lives, you are an honorable man. I think it is good to have you fighting in this unit with me because I have found no fault in you from the day you came to me until today. But the leaders don't think you are reliable. Now go back quietly and you won't be doing anything the Philistine leaders think is wrong. But what have I done, David replied to Achish, from the first day I entered your service until today, what have you found against your servant to keep me from going to fight against the enemies of my Lord, the King? And by the way, just in that phrase, the enemies of my Lord, the King, most people think that David is talking about Saul and that he was gonna turn against the Philistines in battle. 
Verse nine, Achish answered David, I'm convinced that you are as reliable as an angel of God, but the Philistine commanders have said he must not go into battle with us. So get up early in the morning, you and your master servants who came with you. When you've all gotten up early, go as soon as it's light. So David and his men got up early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So in chapter 29, we return to David a couple of chapters ago. Corey talked about this last week. David in fleeing Saul went to the Philistines thinking he could get salvation, saving from them, protection from them. But this was a sinful desire, a decision made out of that spiritual fatigue that we talked about last week. And which this is the important thing to see here. David's heart, as far as being a sinner, was no different than Saul's. They were both sinners. But what was the difference between Saul and David? It was the condition of the fact that David's heart had not been hardened so far that he would not be repentant. David had sinned, yes, but David was always willing to repent when he was confronted with his sin. That is one of the differences because listen, the Bible says all of us have sinned. What's the difference between those who sin to judgment and those who sin to eternal life? It's whether or not we are willing to repent of our sin and admit to Christ that we need his forgiveness. David was that kind of man. So this group of of Philistines have gathered in Aphek. And if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter four, you'll find out that Aphek was the place that really started this whole thing of the kingship. It was there that the Israelites went to war against the Philistines and the Philistines defeated Israel, took the ark of the Lord and took it back to the Philistine region such that the people now cry out to Samuel, we need a king like the other nations to lead us into battle. And so Samuel anoints Saul as king. And now we see Aphek is important in that David, the future king, could have fallen under the sway of the Philistines, could have gone to war against his own people and done a terrible, detestable act against his people where he would never have been the king. And listen, not only is he gonna be the future king, we know that through him, Jesus is gonna come. So God wants to offer protection. And what we see is that in people's darkest moments, mercy extends to us even there. You may think that you're in the worst place you are, but if you will look for God, he's there with you if you will find him. Seek me with all your heart, and when you do, he will be found. So David tried to please the Philistines, and he tried to please God. You ever tried to do that? Doesn't work so well, does it? In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, warns us of this. Don't be double-minded, because when you're double-minded, you're unstable in all your ways. So friendship with the Philistines seemed like a good idea because they could protect David and his men from Saul, but it would ultimately mean that they would have to go to battle with the Philistines against their own people. And God would not allow that to happen. God protected David from this horrible, detestable sin. So to keep David and his men from causing this issue, from harming their own people, God makes David and his men detestable to the Philistines. So God graciously delivers David out of this situation, not because David was better than Saul, but because David loved the Lord and was willing to be obedient. Which means this, wherever you are in your life right now, you may be in Aphek and you may be trying to play both sides. God hasn't lost you yet. He wants to find you. And he wants to love you. And he wants to have his plans for you to come to fruition. Again, the enemy wants to isolate. God wants us to be in relationship. So what do we do with all this? I'll just kind of summarize some of the things we've talked about. Again, I don't know all of you. Some of you may be in this room and you're at the end of your rope. You may, don't, you may not even think you're gonna make it till tomorrow. You may be so desperate. But some of the desperation, again, reveals either the condition of our heart and reveals to us where we need to turn. Because notice this, we right now in America today, we are the wealthiest, most prosperous nation that's ever existed in human history. You get that right. We are the most prosperous and wealthiest nation that's ever existed in the history of the known world. And yet look at the condition of our nation. 
we are more divided now than we've ever been. I remember Corey talked about this last week about the radical individualism, how it's everybody else's problem. The reason we're divided is because you're the problem, not me. And so Republicans don't like Democrats and Democrats don't like Republicans. And by the way, independents don't like Green Party and Green Party don't like the, the independents. And we war at each other and we don't like people based on their skin color. We don't like people based on anything. We, we are people who are at war with others. And yet we're more prosperous, more wealthy than we've ever been. We should be more at peace. And yet we are more at war. We are more medicated than we've ever been. We are people who are easily like when there's something wrong with our emotions, whether, listen, I know there are times where we may need the help of medicine, but that's not the first go-to. A lot of times it's our own sin that puts us in the mindset that we're in. The reason many of you are depressed and struggle with it is not because you're following Jesus passionately, it's because you are sinning and you're sin sick, not mind sick. We need help from the Lord. And then when he changes our mind and changes our emotions and changes our hearts, then we leave depression and we go into a walk with Jesus. And I'm not saying it's gonna be easy. Corey's told the story about this, you know. And listen, if you're playing video games in the dark basement and that's all you do, and all you do is play first-person shooter games and you don't work and you don't go outside and all that thing, yeah, you're gonna be depressed. If you're living in sin and you call yourself a Christian and you're doing things that do not please the Lord, yes, you're gonna be depressed because God loves you that much. We're more distracted than we've ever been. Now, I know that we're in the middle of a fast, so none of you are distracted now. <laughs> but if you wanted to today, you could go home and for the next 12 hours, do nothing but binge TV, movies, you could, you could go down the rabbit hole of YouTube and you could be sillily distracted with inconsequential things that are empty. And yet you wonder why is my heart empty? And more than any of this, we are more deceived than we've ever been. We hear lies and we call it truth and we follow those lies. And we keep thinking just around the corner is our salvation, but just around the corner is more lies, more sadness, more sickness, more distraction, more war, more anger, more bitterness, more heartache. Are we tired of that? Are we tired? But we would rather celebrate our free will. Hey, but at least I get, to, I'm free. I get to do what I want. Yeah, my life is miserable. I, I have no real friends. I can't be in relationship with people. I'm addicted to stuff, medicine, whatever, but I'm free. We'd rather be in that kind of bondage than admit we need help. Because what we have a tendency to do is limit God because what we think is, well, yeah, I know all this stuff has happened, but if I were to try to turn to God, God would reject me because I'm too far gone. Dear friends, can I tell you, there's not a single one of you in this place that's so far gone that God can't save you. The problem is not God, it's with you. Because what we've got to do is quit listening to the noise that tells us that our feelings are valid. We need the truth that challenges our emotions and tells us that there's hope in Christ. And Christ doesn't want to take you from one bondage to another bondage. He wants to take you from bondage to freedom. So many of you, you know what bondage feels like. Why would you remain there? when God wants to set you free, which is why we need the word and we need worship to shake us out of the lies, to turn us away from the lies so that we can hear the real word of God and be transformed by it. But so many of us, we only give cursory knowledge to this. We only maybe read it on Sundays and then the rest of the week we pay no attention to God's word. You need God's word. And by the way, do you recognize that everything you do is worship? how you work, how you drive. 
Everything is an act of worship. Are you doing it as unto the Lord or for yourself? God stands ready to change us. Question is, who's really the Lord? See, what we have a tendency to do is believe that all the problem again is out there. Man, if everybody would think like me, life would be way better. But guess what? The problem is every one of you are thinking the same thing. And what does that mean? War. Because we want God to change everyone and everything around us, but we say, God, I'm good. Leave me alone. And that is a prideful admission of the condition of our heart. Because when we submit to Jesus, it means we have to admit there is something wrong with me. I am not the master of my ship. The direction I've chosen is a bad direction. I am seeing the consequences of the dumb stuff I have done and I need hope. And to admit that means you've got to humble yourself. And many of us don't want to. But conviction of sin is important because I know it's painful. I've had my sin exposed. I've been convicted of sin and it hurts like heck because it is an admission again that I am wrong. But if it leads to repentance, then it ultimately is a grace gift of God. If it takes me away from my bondage and it truly sets me free, then is there any greater pain I should go through than conviction of sin? Lord, convict me if it sets me free. Convict me if it turns me away from the stuff that has enslaved me. Lord, convict me. Yeah, I don't like it, but it gives me what I need and it will give you what you need as well. Because what we all need is grace and mercy, isn't it? We need the grace of God, which is when we get what we don't deserve. It is the mercy of God when we don't get what we deserve. We deserve his judgment and wrath, but he pours out his grace through his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life with him. Because the cross tells us what our true condition is. Dear friends, you know that Jesus did not come to make good people better. He came to a world that is full of sick and dying people who needed saving. You're not just a good moral person that just wants to be better. You're a person that has been tainted by sin. And without repentance and faith in Jesus, you too will by all means perish. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's righteous to forgive us of our sins. The question isn't, do we have a means of escape? The question is, will we take it? So instead of running from God, shouldn't we be running to him where we will find love and grace and mercy? Because Jesus himself said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And some of you in this place, you're so tired. You're so worn out. Maybe for some of you, this is your last gasp. Hey, you're in no better place. This is the place where you can meet Jesus. So let's just ask a few quick questions. First, do we worship God or do we worship ourselves? Do we make much about him or do we make much about me? And I'm telling you, friends, that we were created to worship him, which is when we discovered what life really is supposed to be. We need to change the focus of our worship. Do we hide our sins or do we confess our sins? So many of you are worried about being exposed because you're afraid of what people will think. Can I just say very humbly, you're in a place where if you admit you struggle, you're gonna get joined with arms around you by fellow strugglers who just happen to know that Jesus can help. We are not a people that privately say we're better than anyone else. We are people who humbly say, Jesus has made us better than we could have ever made ourselves. Will you confess? Will you allow yourselves to continue to be distracted by the junk of this world or will you pursue Jesus? And listen, we're just a few days away, about less than two weeks of getting off of the fast. And it's gonna be so easy to go plow that ground again of distraction. Don't let yourself fall into that trap. We hear over and over and over, the fast was the one of the greatest weeks of my life or the greatest 40 days of my life. Well, why would you let it end just because the fast has ended? Because what we have found is that the world gives you lies and empty promises. Only Jesus gives you the truth. 
And when we know the truth, it will set you free. So do we trust God's word? Will we trust his words? Because I'm gonna tell you this and we'll close. When Jesus prayed in John 17, he asked the father to sanctify his people by, with truth. And then he said this, your word is truth. Dear friends, do we trust him? Do we trust him? In your desperation, are you gonna to continue to chase the junk of the world that leaves you empty? Or will you come and find the mercy and grace that Jesus Christ can give you? Will you bow your heads with me? So maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer and we're glad you're here. Maybe you're, you would consider yourself an agnostic or an atheist. Thank you for being here. Maybe you're brand new in your Christian walk and you just got questions about this Jesus stuff and you want some answers. Hey, on my right and your left is Pastor Muhammad. He would love to talk with you. And maybe if it's a longer discussion, he'll set up a coffee or a meeting with you and y'all can go. And, but we, we are not afraid of questions. So please come up and talk to Muhammad. But maybe you're here today and you know there's some things you need to admit, some things you need to confess. And you say, well, who can I talk to? We have men and women on both sides of the stage. You can come to them as soon as we pray and walk up to them. And, and some of you are already thinking, but they won't understand or I, I'll shock them. They, I, I can't tell people this. Again, listen to me. I'm telling you the truth. This is the church you need to be at because you, they will not be shocked by anything. In fact, some of them may have been down that same path you have, are on now and they can help you get off of it. So if you need prayer, if you're in a desperate situation, come, humble yourself and ask someone to pray with you. And then lastly, all around the room where you see a lamp on a table and on some, some of the poles around the sanctuary, there's communion. We give you a piece of bread and we give you juice. The piece of bread represents the body of Christ, which was broken for sinners. The juice represents the blood of Christ, which was shed for sinners. And we would invite you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are walking in repentance, would you grab a piece of that bread, the juice, that cup that's on the poles? And then would you please just come back to your seat? Listen, I know it's easy to run out of this place, but would you just for a moment just contemplate the condition of your heart and what Jesus did to give you salvation? And even if you don't take communion, would you just be aware that a lot of people are and just kind of stay quiet and in just a minute, Mitchell actually close us in prayer. So Father, we are grateful that your word is truth. And we ask now that as we leave this place, that we'll be radically changed by who you are and what you've done for us. So Father, bless my brothers and sisters until we meet again. May they find peace and grace and mercy in you. And we ask this in your powerful and wonderful name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can help yourselves, guys. God bless you.